Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. It was just share experiences of what happened to me. Yeah, I, I, my voice kind of fades a little bit. I'm not a good speaker. Uh, so as a result, if it starts fading, would you just give it one of these? I, I used to be a DJ years and years ago, and you always kind of went like this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I drank some of that whiskey. That's for sure. Yeah. But quite frankly, before I ever started drink whiskey, I didn't drink any of that that brown brown whiskey until I was 19. But I knew I, there's one thing, among others, but one of the things I did do to calm that fear that was within me was I bought things. I've just bought things. And for some reason, that made me feel temporarily good. Also, I, I, I started out, you wouldn't know it today, but I started out buying a lot of clothes uh, strictly because I... I thought that made me look good. And I borrowed them on, on, on credit. I borrowed them on credit. That's why I bought them. Uh, did I say I'm Paul? I'm an alcoholic. And I got, uh, uh, I got sober in September of 84. When I came into AA, I didn't owe a dime. Not a dime. Though I spent a lot of money. I never made big money. But, but you know, the, the common type money, and, 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 and I made that. Now, I, the reason why I didn't owe any money, looking back, is number one, I never got married. Number two, I never had any children. And number three, I never got into uh, uh, some of that crack and other stuff that you younger fellas got into. <laughs> yeah. And, and really, quite frankly, that was a God's blessing, I, I do believe. But when I got sober... And I know I didn't start to charge immediately, but by the time I was about 18 months sober, I was over $10,000 in debt. And as I recollect, I was, I, I was kind of overspending about $1,000 a month. But AA kind of helped me out here because there were certain things that were kind of getting me. And it was that after every meeting they were saying, and we are self-supporting through our own contributions. And I'm saying, you know, I, I'm, I'm really not self-supporting. I'm using a credit card to get me through life. I'm, I'm not self-supporting. And I went to a lot of 12 steps and big book studies, and there was a deal in the sixth step there where it says, and if we have a more open mind, we'll find that we have to, there are other problems in our lives. Well, let me tell you, when I started to get into that and recognize that, that hit me like a ton of bricks. The reason for that is, guys, is that it seemed like there, in the middle part of our first middle part of 1986, I was going out in the mailbox and always had a bill. Always, it just seemed like I always had a bill. Okay. I was getting fearful. Because also I realized that I had to be responsible for my own sobriety and I had to be responsible for my own financial matters. And the fact is, is that I knew I was spending everything, and there was no one going to be around. I, I had a crazy idea that I had a cousin, and I thought she was wealthy. Okay? I thought she was very wealthy, 
and that I didn't need to worry about retirement, and she was going to leave me. Why, I got this figure in mind, a million bucks. Well, when my sister called up and said she qualified for Medicaid, I said, oh, my God, she's, she's, she's got best got 2,000 bucks. That went my retirement plan. And all this kind of came into, into that type of thing. The first part of November, I was getting very, very scared. And so I made a decision, and don't ask me why I just did. All I knew is something had to give, because I'm, I'm staying sober, and I'm thinking I'm doing real good. I, you know, I'm not drinking whiskey no more. I'm not smoke, smoking five packs of cigarettes a day no more. So just, just something's going pretty right with these bills. So I like to say, the first part of November, I decided just to pay the minimum, because that's all I could pay. Okay. But I gathered all my bills, and on March 26th, I took them into the office, and after work, I spread them all out. And I said, oh, and I took all my cards with me. I said, oh, my God, I've been working off 24 credit cards. I'm in trouble. I better do something. And I really didn't know what to do, but all I could think of was with, I knew God was in. I knew it was a spiritual thing. I, I, I knew it. So I had to take a quick fourth step, and I'm a, I'm a great believer of that. Why was I spending so much? I was spending so much because of fear in my life, and this was getting me through it. Say, I was spending just like I drank. Say, it was an emotional problem, wasn't it? Say, so I looked at those cards, and I said, God, I don't know how we're going to do this. But I made one of those to who you can concern, cancel my card effective of. I ran off, I don't know, 25, 30 copies and tore up that day and canceled all but one credit card. Hey, with something said, if I ever carry that credit card, it's going to be the same old thing again. So I kind of got down on my knees and I said, help me God, those are canceled. I never want to get another credit card. What do I do? And I don't know why. Something just told me to put it in, the, in the, my sock drawer at home. So I left it there. And for over five years, I never carried a credit card. Hey, I left it there. That gave me time. I was a compulsive buyer, and that gave me time to come back. You see? That gave me time to come back and say, you know, I really don't need this. And I've learned something. If I'm not happy with what I have, what makes me think more is going to make me happy? It never has. It never has. I've got stuff still hanging around. So I always had that vine hammer. Remember, I, I always tell the story because it's true. I won't get into details. But I can remember I would buy things to make me feel good, but I'd justify it on the basis that I'm going to make money on these things. I'll never forget the time I, I bought over a thousand Taiwan Easter baskets. <laughs> you know, I had a yard sale and my kids wouldn't even take them for free. But I had this image I was going to make a lot of money out of the damn things. So it just didn't work out too well. But I did realize that I was able to do that. I was able to live without a credit card, you say. And people will say, well, Paul, how did you get through the rough edge? Because I did work a job where I had to entertain. Now, so what I did is I rolled up two $100 bills in my billfold, and those were for things for emergencies and for entertaining those things that I, I, I couldn't anticipate. It worked beautifully. By the way, I do carry a credit card today, and when I use a credit card, which is very, very rare, I immediately, if I charge today, before the sun sets, I write the bill 
and it's in the mail. I use it strictly like cash. I never keep a bill around even a few, two or three hours. I pay it off immediately. So, I lost my job in 1992. I still had that money that I had to pay. Huh? And I wasn't doing too good at running my finances, quite frankly. But at least the debt was coming down. I'm doing a little bit better. But when I lost my job, I had to decide, say, something's got to give here. One of the best things I did, and little did I realize it, but financial people uh, suggest this is the most important thing that one can do. Uh, God just put it in my brain that for the next, when I lost my job in July of 92, for the next 90 days, every penny I spent, I wrote down. See, I had a vague idea where my money was going, but I didn't have any idea about how much my money and where it was going to. And after those three months, I, I, I looked at that and I said, oh my God, look what I'm spending on coffee. Look what I'm spending on coats. Look what I'm spending on papers. Do I need to go on? The bottom line, if I projected that out, I saved over 200, almost $260 that I, I kept in my pocket because I was spending money that I didn't need to. And I also realized I better start putting more money away for retirement. Because I'd run a retirement, and I, I, I kind of had an idea that I might want to retire at 60 back then, and I, ooh, that went out the window. I said, well, maybe 65 or 67. Hey. And at the same token, too, I had to learn how to handle finances, not only manage money, but the money that I was saving, because I was having it in 401ks and some on my own, and it was all over the lot. You know, it was like the market today. That didn't do so well, so I put it in something else. So I'd lose over there, and I'd put it in another loser. I said, I don't know how to handle money. So I went back to school. I went back to school at Emory, took some night courses. I began to get over that fear. And I was constantly taking inventory. Oh, why, why, why? I got the same answer. It was fear. It was fear. But I was getting in much better financial shape. I went down to Henry. I learned some things. I learned some fabulous things. And one of the greatest things I learned about was the market goes up and the market goes down. And the market goes up and the market goes down. Seems kind of simple, don't it? Yeah. But until I get that in my head and realize it in my guts, I'm never going to really be, know how to invest money. I can talk about it. I know how to talk clean and live dirty. And I had to find out what my tolerance risk was. I also had to learn something else, the most valuable thing I've learned in how to handle money. The big book told me that, and quite frankly, I was told it, Emory. Yeah. And part of it was, was how do I spend the money? I was spending it on me. Well, I, I knew one thing. I had to pay my bills. Right. But I was missing the greatest ingredient. And one was, again, it was bothering me, especially in the big book. It would say, God is either everything or he is nothing. Everything is here or he is nothing. And I thought, you know, i got to believe that he's everything. Because if he isn't, I don't run my life too well. I, I, I have a track record that I can prove that to myself. So I said, I need to start giving to God. So I went and saw a few people in the cloth, and, and I got it down to where I was paying about 3%. I 
Oh, well, it's better than nothing, isn't it? Then I was listening to the radio and someone said, Well, how do you want God's blessings? On a gross basis or a net basis? I said, Oh my God, I want that gross basis. <laughs> so I switched to 10%. Yeah, and I didn't know how it was going to work. That's worth that time. I've learned how I've got to spend money. First, I've got to pay God. Then I've got to pay myself. Then I've got to pay personal debts next. And then I pay the institutional debts. I've got to make people more important than the institution. Hey. I've learned that through AA. And I've learned that through Emory. And these have all been a great value to me. I was also told that if I ever see a penny on the on the street, pick it up. You Paul, if you don't, you'll be facing your sin. It's, it's, it's not value. All our currency is of great value. So when I see a penny, I pick it up. i got to be honest with you. It's, I know whose it isn't. Hey, so I throw a few pennies in my pocket, and every so often, we throw a buck or two in the pot and somewhere else just to kind of make up that, because that's not my money. But I don't deface the currency. Believe it or not, I learned it's important how I hold the money in my billfold. Do I just crash it in there? Okay. No. I'll put the 20s, 10s. I don't get anything more than 20. 20s, 10s, 5s, and 1s, and I'll have them facing the correct way. Emery told me I'd better do that. Then I'll learn how to handle money. Count your money every morning. I tried to work budgets. They never worked. I have a spending program. I have a spending program. It's like... And my spending program is, today I can spend $35 a day. That has to do everything. That has to be oil changes. That has to be clothes. That has to be food. Are you getting the idea? Entertainment? Okay. I spend $35 a day. I count my money every morning so that I know if I can, if I can spend a little more or should I be spending a little less. I always got to keep that balance going. I just went up recently to that because of a little inflation and I and it's it's worked beautifully for me. So I uh I'm pleased today. I never thought it would happen because of getting a little faith in God. Because of realizing that money was I handled it just like I did alcohol. Even with my job of losing my job in nineteen ninety two, I was able to retire when I was sixty. And I never thought that was possible. I do now. And now I see why. And now I see why. Uh, I'm going to quit because we have a couple other speakers here. But the true key is that sooner or later, and my fear always was, what is going to happen to me about money? Because quite frankly, every survey I read now, and I... I read quite a little bit of financial stuff because now I just enjoy it. That's the number one thing you talk about, think about, and so forth. Every survey tells me that. I'm not married, but I've always get interested to see what was the number one cause for a divorce. What do you think it is? Yeah, about 75% of divorces is over money. Yeah. What about sex? <laughs> so that tells us a little something of the period. I'm not a man... <laughs> I'm not a man of the cloth, but maybe there's a reason why the big, big manufacturer's guide speaks more about money than any other thing. Hey. So maybe it's an important area that I need to look in my life. 
So I can tell you that it does work. But the very key for it all is I have to quit using a credit card. It cannot be part of my life anymore. If I do use a credit card, then it was important for me to pay the total cost of that before the sun sets. If I can't afford to buy it, I don't buy it. That's just that simple. Thank you, guys. All right, thanks, Tom. Uh, Melvin and B, and I'm a great recovering alcoholic. I <laughs> smoke crack alcoholically. <laughs> um, for those guys that came in kind of late, there's some handouts, um, a little agenda. Um, so you can sort of follow me as I go forward. I'm a, uh, I got the distinct dishonor of being two types of, uh, assholes, I guess. <laughs> I'm a lawyer and I'm also a CPA. And the, the, the practice, throughout the part of my practice in the law is a lot of bankruptcies, credit counseling. And the CPA side is a lot of tax preparations, um, budgeting, estate planning, and financial planning. Uh, although I don't really emphasize the financial, I don't, I teach financial planning, but I'm not a financial planner, per se. Um, I learned more about my finances out of all the schools I went through and all the, the tests I've taken, CPA exams, bar exams, and all those exams. I've learned more in recovery about finances than I have learned. I learned the technical stuff in school and how to take tests and how to get the correct answer. But the practical application, I had to, you know, no one instructed me or told me that you have to have discipline in order to apply these principles. And and we don't, I know in my home group, we don't talk about the D word too much, <laughs> discipline, <laughs> especially self-discipline, right? Um, what I, what, you know, I've been doing this for maybe the last two or three years, well, three or four years, and, and I guess this, I'm trying to evolve it, um, my talk, to phase it into the steps of recovery, the program of recovery. Because basically, finances are pretty much similar to the other two S's. You know, the bill, bill says 90%, Bill W says 90% of our problems fall in one of the three S's. Sex, society, or security. And finances is, you know, can be considered one of those, you know, it's a secret. All those S's are secrets. You know, you don't let folks know about your sex issues. You don't let them know about your financial issues. You don't let them know about your society, which how you really feel. Uh, um, and consequently, uh, I thought that I got hit when I, when I arrived in recovery that my finances were screwed up because of the crack I smoked and the alcohol I drank. And drugs and alcohol had made my life a mess. Like prior to me picking up the drugs and alcohol, I was on my way to living happily ever after. <laughs> so I was under this illusion that my life was screwed up because I used drugs and alcohol. And the longer I stayed in recovery, you told me, no, my life wasn't screwed up because I used drugs and alcohol. My life was screwed up. So I used drugs and alcohol in order to deal with the unmanageability, to fill the gap and fill the void. There's a lot of stuff I did not learn, did not know how to do prior to getting into, you know, picking up a drink or picking up a hit or whatever. There's a lot of things that, and I blamed a lot of stuff on addiction and alcoholism that addiction and alcoholism had nothing to do with. It's just ignorance. I just didn't have that information. I wasn't taught this kind of stuff. And, uh, I heard about it 
And I saw it in, in books, in, in television, but I didn't actually have to apply it until I reached the bottom. And that's when the recovery process come in, you know. It really helps to have a, a, a working knowledge of the steps if you're going to approach this particular area and try to clean it up. Um, and if you don't have a working knowledge of the steps, if you don't have a sponsor, it's strongly uh, advised that you do get a sponsor and you work the steps in this particular area. You know, after I did the big, messy, you know, four-step, the inventory, my whole life was all screwed up. The sex, society, security, everything is in there, drugs, alcohol, the women, all that stuff is all in there. So after staying clean for a little while, then I can start specifying other areas. You know, like Bill says in the 12 and 12, in the 12 steps. Then he starts to, the newcomers then starts to realize after finishing the first 11 steps that he has other problems other than alcohol. <laughs> and that's what, those are the items that were listed in the sixth and seventh step, the defects of character. Uh, so I'm going to use the 12 step approach on how to resolve and, and heal my, my uh, financial woes. Um, and sometimes I forget I'm supposed to be in the healing process. You know, and they say if nothing changes, nothing changes. That I have to at least, like my sponsor said, you know, back in the day when I was real out of, I guess I had about three or four years clean. My uh, alcoholism took another turn, switched seats, and, you know, I started picking up another symptom called women, right? And I'm substituting. And he said, if you can't stop, just pat the brake and let the guy know behind you you're trying to slow down. <laughs> I guess you had to be there, but... <laughs> At the time, it was pretty profound, you know. Hey, just slow down. Um, I had to work the, you know, before I get to a first, a fourth step and work the, um, before I get to the fourth step and do an inventory, I have to first acknowledge that I'm powerless, right? And we all familiar with this, this language. I'm powerless over my finances and my life is unmanageable. And then we go through that toggle of denial. I'm not really powerless. Maybe I'm unmanageable. You know, we all shift seats every now and then between the two two parts of the first step. You know, that comes and goes. Uh, and the next phase I need to do is have a higher power. And, you know, I had a sponsor that passed about three, four years ago, and he used to always say, after being okay with the first step and accepting that I'm an alcoholic, most alcoholics' problems are the second step problems. Because we still go by, go around and do everything on our own for ourselves and we're completely selfish and there's no room for a higher power to help me. And you told me in the book that I can get a higher power that can help me with my problems. And my finances is a problem, but it's a secret. <laughs> so I got this dilemma, do I do with the, what, how do I handle the secret versus the problem? How do I let, I, I'm gonna need some help. And, and Bill even says in some areas, you know, especially that sex, society, and security, we may have to go outside and get some outside help. So all the ego and the pride and all that stuff needs to be broken down. But that's that's what that's the beauty of the steps, because the steps will break us, break all of that stuff down. We'll find out the original culprit was not the drugs and the alcohol in the first place; it was the defects in character. So after I got this higher power that's, that can restore me to sanity, with regard in particular to my finances, um, I need to be able to turn my will and my life over to the care of my higher power, and. You know, the shortcut version of that basically is if I'm turning my will and, the, and life over to the care of God, the way it was explained to me in this workshop, I don't have to get deep and profound because, you know, I, I used to smoke weed. Yeah, that was one of the things I used to do when I was drinking. And we used to smoke weed 
we'd have the, the lights dim with the black lights on. This is way back in the day. You had the incense going, and you're cleaning the reef on the two-album set, you know, listening to Intervision Stevie Wonder, talking about life and the manifestation of self based on mankind. <laughs> you go to these deep, profound discussions, and then you would forget what point you were. We had all these points out there. You know what I mean? Where was I? Where was I? <laughs> and then you find out these guys don't even listen to you. What else? Oh, you guys don't even listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, as opposed to getting into those type of uh, discussions about, you know, life and the deep part, that was it the hen or the egg that came first, you know, and all that type of stuff, um, it was explained to me that if I'm going to do the third step, third step is a physical thing. If I'm going to turn my will and my life over to care of God, I have to do something. And it was explained to me, do four through nine. But uh, the light went on. <laughs> What happened to the deep, profound concepts and the discussions of what, what my will and God's will and, and my life versus the will of God's what life versus my will and all that type of stuff? Do four through nine. And that's an act of faith. That's an act showing that I'm willing to turn my All right, you guys say this works? I'm going to do four through nine. Let me see how it works. And that's how it works, four through nine. So finally, I got a higher power. I admit I'm powerless. I got a higher power. Now I have to do the inventory. And some of the inventory sucks, you know, especially when it comes to finance. I have to first write down physically. This is one of those physical things you do. This, all the intellectual deep stuff is gone after one, two, and three. Right? <laughs> so you, <laughs> no more discussions. You get the pen and the paper and get the telephone book out and pull out all the bank statements and all the credit card debts and the account numbers and the, the names of the creditors and the balances. Order you a credit report to find out what the damage looks like. Remember, this is our major, I know my major defect was fear, self-centered fear. The, you know, the fear of losing what I think I already have or the fear of not getting what I want. And if I'm scared, there's a good chance my other defect of character, procrastination, will say, oh, don't worry about it. We'll get to it later. <laughs> but before the, I even get to those, before I get to, you know, procrastination, I have to call in the two, you know, RJ, rationalization, justification. You know, they come in and say, what you need? What you need? <laughs> the defects are really like a gang, you know. They're a well-fine-tuned machine, you know. I bet you that's one company, Defects Incorporated, that has no stock deflation problems. <laughs> they come early and they stay late, you know. <laughs> <laughs> one of the major things we need to do, so we identify, we do the inventory, pull out, you know, one of the best things is go ahead and get the, the, the credit report. Then you pull out the last statements that you actually have. You get the names, address, telephone numbers. Now, part of the fear says, don't go to them, let, you come to, let them come to you. And that's hogwash. Yeah, you want to go to the creditor before they come to you. All right? You always want to go to them because at least, hey. We didn't even know. We thought you were dead. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and although credit, you know, collectors do what collectors do, intimidate, you know, bully you around, make you feel like a scumbag and all that type of stuff, and they, some of them do it real well, most of them will have some type of understanding if you come to them without them, oh, we don't even have you on file. You need to call this other company. And a lot of times, if you look on a credit report, you'll see the credit reporting agencies where they have sent that bill to one credit reporting agency, to the other one, to the other one, to the other one, and you basically it's going to be a, a witch hunt to find out who actually has the account. Because since you've been such a deadbeat for so long, you know, and, oh, we don't want this one, send it back, send it back, send it back. You just hunt them down until you finally find out who actually has 
uh, that account. Um, so that's the fourth step, right? And, and by the way, do not try this at home alone. <laughs> you really need to have a sponsor or somebody who's uh, learned or reasonably, reasonably uh, manageable in this particular area. You know, it's like uh, you don't go to a bar, you know, with a glass of a bottle of vodka in you, you know, in front of you, you know, talking to the bartender, asking for some feedback. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you just don't go to bars asking for feedback if you're an alcoholic, you know, if you're in the program of recovery. So you really don't want to do this on, on your own. Um, so do the fifth step, formally with your sponsor or whomever that person may be. And after you do the fifth step, then you can identify the defects. And they usually turn out to be the same ones that drove us when we drank and we used. Dishonesty, greed, procrastination, fear. Uh, what's that other one? You guys should be pretty familiar with that. Sloth, <laughs> laziness, lust. You know what I mean? You want to appear to be bigger than you are, spending money you don't have. Jealousy, envy, crack. <laughs> right. And particularly um, pride. I mean, we, we, we joke about it, but pride is, is pretty heavy because pride is run by uh, lack of humility. You don't want to back down. You don't want to humble down and say, all right, I can't really afford this. I'm not going to do this. You know, it takes a lot to do that, to humble down. But the greed says, man, what the hell? You've been working hard. You deserve it. Rationalization comes in and justification. And, next thing you, and, and by the way, you can't become dishonest until you... You know, you meet rationalization justification. <laughs> you have to, yeah, no one talks about rationalization justification. Where, well, I've been dishonest. You go straight to dishonesty. No, rationalization says, eh, whatever. Look, you've been doing this. You've been working hard. Why not? You deserve a break. And one thing about rationalization, once you do it once, it makes it a lot easier to do it again. Hey, that was just one time. <laughs> I don't know if anybody here can relate to that. <laughs> this time it'll be different, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> uh, make a list and be prepared to make restitution when you can. Now, when you go out and call these creditors, you know, you got to be selective on who you can attack. You know, you, all you want to do is make out. Now, and, and there's a place called Consumer Credit Council when it comes down to this, this credit stuff. You know, some folks want to go extru- you know, straight to the extreme and file in Chapter 7 to 13 and file bankruptcy, which is now becoming a major issue with the new bill that's coming through. Um, you may want to just try consumer credit counseling. Consumer credit counseling is an area, uh, there's a governmental program. I think you pay them 25, 35 bucks. They do a financial analysis, see how much money you got coming in, how much money you got going out. You list all that, you have all that inventory of information about the creditors, the name, account number, the telephone number, the balance due, and they will act in your behalf against, well, not against, they will represent you against the creditors, cutting a deal. Say, all right, this guy, I know he, he owes you five grand, and you guys want $200 a month, but he can't afford to pay $200 a month. You guys accept 75 bucks. And they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And as far as the credit's concerned, depending on how old the account is, they'll gladly accept it. They'll say, great. You know, we didn't even, remember, this guy was dead. We thought this guy was dead, but we'll take anything, you know. Then there's other creditors who bust your balls. They, they really don't want to participate in consumer credit counseling. They want your, you know, your firstborn. Um but I would at least try consumer credit counseling because they're an advocate for the consumer. And you're basically trying to clean up your act. And the way consumer credit counseling does, all right, you got $1,500 a month coming in the household. Your expenses are $1,200 a month. 
including your entertainment and your little cushion, and you list all of that, and they say, okay, he has $300 a month available, but he owes about $20,000. So they'll call all these creditors, and they'll try to divvy out that $300 a month. You write the Consumer Credit Council a check for $300 a month, and then they'll pay all the creditors each month. And they'll keep the, what we say, keep the dogs out of, off the porch, up on the door, and get them back in the yard. Um, <laughs> now, absent, uh, absent consumer credit counseling, you know, the code, there's a unwritten code at the consumer credit counseling where they say, we can't help you. <laughs> and they say, we, they won't tell you you need to file bankruptcy, but they'll say that we can't help you. And that's the unwritten word that you need to file bankruptcy or something. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the last stage. Uh, now, that's how we clean up. That's the inventory, right? We identify the defects. Doing eight and nine is making restitution, making the list, people we've harmed, and the creditors included. Uh, ten is trying to exercise some more discipline as we go forward in our day-to-day life. You know, when we're wrong, properly admitted. You know, and improve our conscious contact with a higher power. And the higher power, I'm telling you, the second step is the key. If I, I, I won't be so fearful if I allow my higher power in to help me out on this. And he gets someone, you know, and I so get somebody to help me out personally who has experience in this particular area, and I got a higher power I can't lose, you know, because I don't think my higher power got me all this, you know, gets me to this point to say, just kidding. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, now, we, we have set up arrangements. Worst case scenario, you file a Chapter 7, which means you write off all your unsecured debt, and that's today. But if this book, if this pad, this, this bill passed, uh, the auto industry has now lobbied Congress and the Senate, and they have them in their pockets. They're proposing that you won't be able to write off any auto loans, which is, you know, and, and they're rushing it through, which is really bad. And in addition to this, the auto, we're talking about if you have, in other words, if you have an auto loan and uh, you total the, the vehicle, the vehicle is no longer available, and we all know about being upside, upside down. In vehicles, you know, there's a deficiency in the amount, the balance that you owe, which is what we can, would normally be considered unsecured, and you can wipe it all off in the Chapter 7. The new sheriff in town that they're proposing is saying you have to pay that off. It goes into a category, what they call priority unsecured. Now, there's secured assets like a house or a car, the big screen TV from Circuit City, the stuff that they can come back and get where it's collateralized. That's secured debt. Then there's priority unsecured debt, which means priority but it's unsecured. And those are three areas you can't write off at the IRS right now. I mean, at the IRS, at uh, bankruptcy right now is child support, student loans, and back taxes. Priority unsecured. Unsecured, telephone bill I never paid, the lease I broke on their apartment, you know, the, the car that I totaled, you know, that there's no car anymore, or the car that was repossessed and I still owe a balance, uh, medical bills, all the credit cards, you know, except for those credit cards where you bought the, you know, the Circuit City credit card where you bought the big screen TV and the refrigerator and all that type of stuff. And Sears, the appliance type places, they can come back and get that stuff. But all the other credit cards right now can go under Chapter 7. But if the bill passes, MasterCard and Visa wants to become, and it looks like, it really looks bad. I don't know how they, this is unbelievable. But anyway, MasterCard and Visa wants to be behind automobiles. And both of them are trying to become priority unsecured debt, which means you have to pay this off your student loan, you have to pay your taxes, you, got to, you have to pay child support, you have to pay your car notes, and you have to pay credit cards. 
So who the hell is going to file bankruptcy if you if you can't write that off and you can't get relief? Why would, you know, forget about it. I don't want to get into the politics. But anyway, that's what's coming up. So if you're really thinking about filing, you know, <laughs> I ain't saying that. Listen, I'm not saying all this. All I'm saying is if you're really thinking about filing, start connecting the dots. <laughs> all right? Now filing is the last, last, the, 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 you know, the last, that's the last thing you want to do is file bankruptcy. So if there's any way that you can, you know, through the process of the inventory and calling the creditors or consumer credit counseling, you want to try to get that done first. You want to try the diplomatic way. You know, the quick and dirty is just to wipe everything away. Now they say 10 years ago, 70% of people had great credit. Today, something like 60% of people have bad credit, something like that. And I filed Chapter 7 in 90. I had a year clean, and they said, you can't, won't be able to get any credit and all that type of stuff. And you, that's not necessarily true. I filed Chapter 7 in 90, bought a house in 91 at this ridiculous rate, you know, 14%, then had to refinance it down. But coming from where I came from, crack houses unlimited. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> You know, it was, it was like, hey, I'm in a house. Picture this. Who would have thunk it? You know what I mean? <laughs> now, I got a high power. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but in order to, to qualify for the house, I had to reestablish my credit. And how do you reestablish your credit? They say if you do wipe everything away and you want to reestablish your credit, what I did was I went out and bought two uh Eight-year-old cars at 26, 26, financing at 26% interest. You know, anybody that works in the used car business, you know, it's a great place for a dopey alcoholic. You know what I mean? <laughs> you can be dishonest. You can use your defects. And, oh, great. Oh, we can get you in this car. You right? The next day, they say, all right, I want the car. He says, let me go in the back and speak to Bob. I'll be right back. <laughs> and Bob says, does he need any grease? <laughs> use the KY. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, so I, I, I got two vehicles, me and my wife at the time, and we financed it for, I guess, six years to 26%. It was ridiculous. They made the payments on time. We got two uh, secure credit cards. Secure credit cards, you give, you give them the amount of your, your credit limit. So you gave them $500 for two credit cards, and that was our credit limit. So if, if we didn't pay it, they would just take the amount that we had uh, set up as collateral uh, in the savings account and made the payments on time. And slowly but surely, my Beacon score, which is a rating that they use in, in, in the credit industry, started to increase because I stopped being late. I stopped all of the behavior, the behavior that got me there in the first place. Now, none of this cleanup stuff making any it doesn't make a it don't mean a hill of beans <laughs> it makes no difference <laughs> it makes no difference if you, to clean this stuff up if we don't correct our daily behavior yeah, if we can't get to step 10 and correct our behavior as it comes up and start exercising some discipline all we're doing is chasing our tail and I think, and that's what the beauty of being in recovery we all know how this same episode happened in other areas of our life you know what I mean? And you start to begin to, you start to begin to see instead of segregating your life, this is my financial part of my life. This is my sexual part of my life. This is my society part of my life. And this is part of, you know, my work part of my life. And this is my children part of my life. This is my life. 
And basically, my disease will use the path of least resistance. Wherever the most vulnerable area is, the weakest area, that's the area he's going to go, it's going to attack. And a lot of times when I used to spend money, it was like, you know, it was that, it was that word I'm looking for, man. You know, when you, you grandiose, there it is. Grandiose. You know, you, I'm big shot, you know, I'm big ball, what you need? Everybody got a drink on me, you know what I mean? The whole house, you know, just trying to make the inside feel better. By putting something in the, I got this big hole in me, so I'm going to buy these clothes, I'm going to buy this car, I'm going to buy all this stuff that I can't afford in order to make me feel better. It's the same thing that drugs and alcohol did. Um, so it pays to start to uh, change my behavior on a daily basis. Now, how do I change my, my daily, my basis, my, how do I change my behavior on a daily basis? Very good. He's been to, he's been to those step classes. <laughs> well, go to those 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 classes, right? Uh, one of the things I have to do. We still talking pen and paper. I need to do a daily budget, a monthly budget. I need to write down how much money I got coming in my household. You know what I mean? Every month, I need to write down what my expenses are. And there's two types of expenses. There's disposable income, and there's discretionary income. The disposable income are items that I need. So that means some of you guys think you need those porno movies. Forget about it, right? <laughs> Give the porno movies a break. Uh, disposable income is rent, insurance, food, uh, mortgage, car notes, necessities. And whatever is left after you subtract from your, your, your net income, you, know, you don't want to use your gross income. You know, we use the gross, use your net income when it comes to your budget. Because the taxes and everything comes out. We, we, we and it's a delusion. Like, why am I short? Why am I short? Because the government took theirs off the top. Uh, <laughs> coming through the back door, right? Um, so you, what you want to do is you want to find out what your net income is you got coming in the house, subtract your disposable income, all your needs, and you find out what's left. And that's the blockbuster money, the porno movies, the... Uh, uh, the sprinkles on the ice cream. <laughs> yeah, you, put, you put the nuts on there too. All the extra stuff, the date money, the entertainment, the movies, the concerts, all that stuff comes in. That's discretionary. That's where discretion is. Use your discretion. Or you can take the discretionary money and start putting some money away for a rainy day. Start paying yourself first. You know, and if you're in a company that has a 401k or 403b, has some type of retirement plan, I highly recommend that you max out the amount that they can take out. Use it like anywhere between 12 to 15 percent. And what you don't see, you don't miss. And you paid yourself first. But usually we want to see what the check looks like. And, and, you know, and we manipulate the W-4 forms on our jobs so we can get the maximum amount at the end of the year we owe the government. Um, so one of the other suggestions I have is, that, you know, I'm, I'm going to wrap it up is, well, I'm going to address this tax issue. But on that budget issue, um, there's a lot of waste. I know from my experience, I waste a lot of money, and, 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 and it comes in through the back door, and I don't know if anybody here can relate to it, eating in the street. Restaurants are unbelievable, man. My restaurant, I mean, and I'm a, you know, CPA tax season, I deserve it. I did eight tax returns, 9.30, <laughs> you know, instead of going home, and, and I shouldn't be eating that much anyway. Late at night, you know, I'm walking around with hogging dogs, 2.30 in the morning, eating it with my drawers on, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> 2.30 in the morning, right? But 
eating in the street, man, it's a, it'll blindside you. So what I tried to do, and I'm doing so far, I'm doing this little Lenten thing, but what, I, what I'm trying to do, what I have been successful doing the last four weeks, is only eat out twice a, uh, twice a week. Because I'm, I used to eat out five, six times, but I'm single. You know, and, and it don't make a difference from my understanding. If you're single American, <laughs> women still don't cook. <laughs> There's a new sheriff in town, right? <laughs> and it ain't your mama. <laughs> See, I was spoiled. My mom used to cook all the time. You know, the way I could tell my guys we're playing football, hey, I'll be right back at 6 o'clock. I'm out of here, man, because she's cooking, you know? But these women here, man, there's a new sheriff in town. So I... <laughs> and, and the other thing is the other area of waste is when I buy food, I go shopping, food shopping, and I, my intentions... And, you know, we know about intentions. My intentions is to, oh, yeah, man, the pasta, get these shrimp, and get these green peppers, and da-da-da, I'm hook up this, and I got the sauces in it. My intention is to cook all of this food. But I'm old, my eyes are bigger than, you know, what I, my, what, my, what reality is. And a month later, I'm throwing this stuff out. You know what I mean? Something ate something else in the refrigerator or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> so you won't eat it, I'll eat it, <laughs> right, so you throw all this for every month. It's like a ritual. Throw that out. Throw, is this good? No, that's good. Throw that out. Throw that out. And I have to start, and that's what we talk about the D word, discipline. You know, even if that's all right, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I'm eating at home. I'm going to cook. And we all can cook. Some of us, hey, <laughs> speak for yourself, right? But, it's, but we all have the idea of cooking. And we all know that basically all you need is 25 minutes and some spices and take some time. But our rush society, our society, well, I'm like, I got to go here after this, got to pick that up, da, da, da. And I'm rushing the food when I do eat. I don't even enjoy it. It used to be a time when we used to eat food. It was like a spiritual thing. You know, when you were growing up as a kid, you're sitting at the table, you're talking. It was, it was like, relax. We're eating dinner. Relax. We eat breakfast. But I'm wolfing the chop, chop, swallow, chop, chop, swallow, chop, chop, swallow. I got to get out of here. And I, don't even, I can't even taste the food. So that's another spiritual element. I think that we probably want to start spending more time with ourselves. And we're talking about what's the definition of taking care of yourself. I can't take care of myself. I'm going to rush it everywhere, you know, and I'm wasting. There's, and there's, there's a waste. And I've been counting it. So I've been doing good for four weeks. And uh, I've been guilty of, uh, you know, the, uh, the other extreme, you know, dopey and alcoholic. We go from one string to the other, so I do good here. Then I binge when I let loose. It's a binge. It's like ridiculous, you know. So thank God for a day at a time. Now, tax issues. Uh, I did this workshop about two years ago, and I asked the guy, I said, uh, when's the last time? I said, how many people in here uh, have filed? And one guy says, File what? <laughs> the other guy said, shut up, man. Just raise your hand. <laughs> um, again, the boogeyman that Bill talks about is fear. You don't want to deal with the big bully, bully the IRS. So consequently, what we'll do is we'll run. No news is good news. We use all that ignorant, scary Garbage that got us here in the first place. Well, they ain't calling me. I ain't calling them. I'll be damned. I'm going to arrest you. Volunteer my service. And the problem basically comes down to you don't know what you don't know, especially if you haven't filed. At least file. At least prepare the returns, and you'll know what you owe. 
But the worst thing is going to sleep every night not knowing, man, I wonder how much I owe in 96. I haven't done 96. I know I made some money. I had the 1099s and all that crazy stuff that goes on in our head. Like we have plenty of room up there for some more stuff, some more uh, worrying. Um, first, file. Have them, have them file. Have all the tax returns filed. Find out the amount. And there's areas that you can, at the IRS, that you can work it. First thing you want to do at least, first thing you want to do is at least become current, file your taxes, and set up an installment agreement. You know, a lot of folks talk about the IRS going to arrest you and lock you up and all that stuff. You're not doing any heavy-duty fraud type stuff. You ain't got to worry about, you know, there's not enough room in jail for some punk ass out. <laughs> what are you doing here? Well, I didn't file 94. <laughs> What you in for? <laughs> so lighten up, you know. Again, that's the boogeyman. You know, that's the fear. Is it a back of It's not real. You can't touch it. You can't smell it. You can't taste it. It's all up in between our ears. Uh, file the tax return, and you can call ACS, which is Automatic Collection Service, and you can uh, set up an installment agreement. Now, they're going to actually prepare this form called 433A or 433B if you own a business. And those forms of, of personal financial statements, similar to what the uh, CCS would do, look at your finances, see how much you got coming in, what you got going out, what assets you own, how much equity you have in those assets, what's available, and then they'll say, all right, you owe $15,000, we need to collect this in 36 months, or six, no more than 60 months, or five years, uh, you need to give us $250 a month. Now, all right, in the beginning, that's fine, okay, the dogs are off. They're off the porch. They're back in the yard. I'm paying $250 a month or $150 a month, whatever the amount may be. And you may have some relief that, you know, you're paying the, you're paying the taxes and they're no longer bothering you. All you got to do is correct your stuff going forward. Just live day at a time. You have some integrity, some honesty, some willingness, you know. Um, but the problem with the installment agreement is the IRS is the closest thing to the mob I've ever seen because they charge penalties and interest daily. It accrues daily. So every day that you owe the IRS, the next day you owe them a different number. Unlike, you know, 12% APR, annual percentage rate, this is a daily. And they, and they attack on penalties, which can really come up to about 25, 26%. Failure to file, failure to deposit, failure to pay, failure to this, failure to pay, failure to It is like ridiculous. So you may be fine. You got the dogs back in the yard, you know, and I have a client now. She owed she owed sixty thousand dollars. She's been paying eleven. She's a doctor. She's been paying eleven hundred dollars a month for the last two years. All right. So you're talking about that's about twenty five thousand dollars. They sent her her current bill says she owes fifty thousand dollars. So she spent twenty five thousand dollars and it only went down ten thousand dollars. So fifteen thousand dollars has gone to penalties and interest because it's accruing daily. So you may be okay and comfortable with the installment agreement, but you really want to try to if you have the resources to get a loan, borrow some money from the family members or somewhere and pay that off because this is really unfair the way, and they call, the reason they have those penalties, they say it's a deterrent. <laughs> and I guess it is a deterrent. Um, absent of that, if you have a large amount, what you may want to do is they have a business office called Offering Compromise. And Offering Compromise is set up, it's like a business office that set up a deal. It's supposed to be separate, totally separate from collections and all that. And Logistically, if you talk to them, they do have a different kind of mindset than the collectors and the other people, the revenue officers are really kind of intimidators and all. We want our money and we're going to levy your bank account. Because basically what you're going to say, I owe $60,000. 
but I can't afford to pay $60,000. You give them the financial information, they'll give you a list, send you back a laundry list of stuff they want to see proof of your utility bill, proof of your mortgage, your car note, your child care, and all this other stuff. You send it back to them, all that information to them, then they'll send you another list back with maybe like seven items on it, and you send that back. Then they send you another list with maybe three items on it. They say, okay, let's make a deal. You're proposing, I start out with at least 10%. We owe $60,000, we offer you 60. Actually, I'll give you a, a live case, my best case that I just uh, saw in this last year. She owed $75,000 over since going back to 1989 because she had 1099 income, and I'm not sure you guys know the difference between being an employee and an independent contractor. 1099 is you have to pay Social Security and Medicare because it's not coming out of your, your check because you're getting the whole check. So you got to reduce your expenses by the 1099 income, whatever the balance is, that's considered your salary, and then they want the Social Security tax and the income tax on it. So she owed $75,000, and we proposed 7500 We did the laundry list stuff, complied, gave them all the stuff. Now, offering compromise is set up for hardship cases. Unfortunately, in the last, you know, well, for a long time, a lot of big guns have been exploiting that unit. You know, you got these big wigs, the old Bank of America and Wachovia and, you know, Solomon Smith Barney, they owe, you know, they may owe like $600,000 and they go through offering compromise and wind up paying $75,000. And, and the program is not meant for them. The program is meant for folks who are addicts, alcoholics, they've been in the war and lost his damn mind, you know what I mean? <laughs> 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 so the program is made for folks with hardship. So this particular lady, she had hardships. She had a record. If, if you have pro, if you have a, any documentation that you've seen shrinks, that's a plus. If you, shrinks, you've been to treatment, depression, uh, if you've been in the war, that, you know, that's pretty, that they look upon that as favorable, that you may have PTSD, uh, or you have any other, any other type of mental or emotional disorders that you can document it, that puts you in a, in a real good position to work a deal. Providing your finances, or, you, know, you have to show there's a need that I cannot pay this. Look. And so in her case, she owed 50, she was paying 50 bucks a month. So they know they're not going to collect $75,000. She's 55 years old. <laughs> right? And in cases like that, when they see that people cannot pay, they put you in what they call an uncollectible status. Right? There's no way we're going to collect it. They don't have anything we can take. So we put them in uncollectible. You can send in what you can send in, and every six months or three months, we'll send you a new letter saying, hey, how are we looking up? <laughs> they want to update for you to send a new uh, 433A or personal financial statement to come in, and they can examine whether or not, you know, your, your situation has changed. So in her particular case, she came in with the doctor's notices, oh, and this is an aside also. Um, there is... A, you know, I'm one of the, I'm, I'm duly addicted, I'm an alcoholic and a crack addict. There is a big difference in the perception of the IRS if you say you had a drug problem versus having an alcohol problem. I've had five cases, two crack addicts and three alcoholics. And I told, you know, I was telling them, man, you probably need to say you're an alcoholic. I'm, you know, you know, you got these Nazis in the program. No, man, they ain't no alcoholic. An alcohol is a drug and I'm from NA and I'm from CA and all this other stuff, right? I'm like, Lighten up, man. I'm telling you, you need to say you're an alcoholic. What difference does it make? Your disease concept, you had to put something in. I go through all that whole cl clinical thing. And, no, man. So you're going to stick to the guns. So they chucked him out. Because they say drug addicts need to be in jail. <laughs> all right? That's the perception of the government. The drug addicts go to jail and alcoholics go to treatment. <laughs> 
it's the reality. So, <laughs> so you become an alcoholic real quick. <laughs> I had my first drink when I was six. <laughs> At the kitchen table with Romani. You know <laughs> uh, so you got to, you know, just take heed to that. That there is a perception on the types of, you know, we are comfortable with drugs, alcohol, whatever, but the government sees it totally different. Um, so the offering comp- back to the offering compromise, we often offered them, offer them 7500 We complied, sent all the stuff in, and they sent, you know, and they looked at her psychological records and everything, and they accepted the 7500 Now, accepted the 7500 penalties and interest stopped. You need to come up with $7,500 in the next 90 days, certified funds, and all of that goes away. Good deal, right? Now, we remember two, three years ago, the IRS was on trial with Congress when they were talking about the agents coming through people's kitchen windows and all that type of stuff and hiding in the garage, <laughs> IRS agents posing as a CPA and all that type of stuff. So, consequently, Congress passed some rules and some new laws that, to make it more lenient. After you come up with a number, this 7,500, they're saying, all right, we're a little too rigid with this 90, 90 days pay everything in full type system. Why don't we give them 24 months of deferred payment? And the problem with that, and I don't take any deferred payment cases, because 70%, I talked to the, the guy, the head of the Atlanta district, he said 70% of those deferred payments, you can pay it over 24 months. So that's 7,500, no penalties, no interest, you just make your payments every month. Just divide 7,500 by 24 months. And that sounds great, but things tend to happen. 70% of those deferred payment agreements are falling, are defaulting. And when it default, guess what happens? Everything goes back to where it originally started. So you owe $75,000. So this lady, she wanted like, oh, I like that $7,500. I can just send them $150 or something like that a month. And I'm like, nah, you need to come up with Go get the funds. She had access to get the funds from her grandmother or mother or something like that. So get the funds and just cut them the check. She didn't want to do it. Uh, but she eventually, I told her I was going to drop the case. If I already have the number, I can do what I want to do now. I said, well, you can do what you want to do. But I'm not taking the case if you, you don't just write them a check, especially if you know they have access to it. Um, so that's my spiel. I, I just wanted to give some information. Um, and information is power. And the bottom line is i got to stay prayed up, and i got to have a higher power through all of this. And we come in here wrecked, you know, under the lash of alcoholism. But sometimes, like I said, alcoholism didn't have a lot to do with stuff that happened before alcoholism. A lot of stuff I never knew how to do. And a lot of stuff I'm just now learning how to do, so I'm going to have to become a little more open-minded and go out and get the help. Thanks for letting me share. And there's more people here than I thought. I'm Jim and I'm an alcoholic. Hey, everybody. Mel, you did a good job. He's asleep. You did a good job. You did a good job. Um, I had a... after. Coming to this meeting last time, I had a couple questions, and uh, and Mel answered them. And uh, that's the reason that I'm up here tonight, was because I wanted to make sure that those got answered. And, and there was a, one of them in, in particular was the uh, bankruptcy. It seemed that there was a lot of folks that were contemplating bankruptcy. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm not a uh, certified uh, public accountant, and... Uh, um, and I'm not a professional in that regard, and he is. Um, and I would recommend using somebody like Mel to, to, to do my planning. But there's, there's a couple things that I needed to point out to you about, in my opinion, about bankruptcy. 
Um, and that is the lack of availability to borrow money. Uh, Mel did touch on the point that, uh, that you can borrow money. You borrow at a higher rate. If you know Mr. Boyles, you can borrow it at a higher rate. He's my neighbor, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And, uh, uh, you know, he'll loan, he, you know, he'll loan anybody money for a car, but it's 25% interest. And, uh, so, um, and I, and, but I was not aware that you could borrow mortgage money after a, uh, bankruptcy. Uh, I thought you were, um, I thought you had a seven year window that you could not borrow mortgage money, but you, but you can borrow mortgage money at a higher rate. Oh yeah. yeah. You mean a much higher rate. Okay. Okay. Some guys, uh, this guy included, uh, are self-employed. And um, let me uh, say this to you. In 1987, when I came into, when I got sober, when I came into the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, I had made a little bit of money beforehand, and I had gone through every bit of it uh, in the real estate business. And um, uh, and so when I got here and I got sobered up, I decided that I wanted to get back into doing the same thing that I was doing, and that was owning some income property, okay? And um, the first place that I started was buying a house. I lived in an old farmhouse. It was I spent about $150,000 on it. When I sold it for seventy-five. it was the happiest day of my life besides the day I got married and the day that I got sober. But uh my first experience with uh with older homes was not very good. But I, I immediately started it, it in 1987 um building some houses for rent, okay? Well, and I and I bought my own home. Uh built my own home. And one of the things um that I think that happened to me was is I was able to see some um See my to see my net worth grow some, okay. And I, I'm I'm not sure how many folks here own their own house or are buying their own house, but um, I think that's the greatest. I think that's the best thing for the best way to get started in a savings plan is buying your own home. Um, since that time, uh, I've accumulated quite a few houses and Mel was talking about an inventory and I started inventorying my mortgage payments here a minute ago and it kind of scared me. Um, one of my companies, I have about uh, $23,000 worth of monthly mortgages. My personal house is about 3500 and in another company I've got, I've got $27,000 worth of monthly mortgages. And uh, so I'm mortgaged at a little over $50,000 a month. And for a guy that's only been sober for 13 years, you say, well, shit, you're crazy. And I say back to you, I don't know about that because I feel like that's a pretty safe bet. Uh, I buy, I build, I try to buy and build smart. And when I say that, I try to buy, I, I try to do things that are good buy. I don't pay exorbitant prices and I, and I try to do good things that are good buy. And um, the reason I say that that's pretty safe for me in in my personal home and in the houses that I've built to rent um, is that um, that I can get out of those businesses at any time, okay? And I can sell a house. I can always cash out of it. If my money 
is somewhere else that I have no control over it, what money that I do make in the construction business, whatever I make, if I'm if that money's tied up in the stock market, I don't really have a good I don't have a lot of control over that. If that money's in my backyard, I've got a little bit of control over it. I can see over it and I can and I intuitively have learned if I need to sell it or not. Okay. <clears throat> Another idea on after the owning your own house is owning another piece of property. Okay, here's this is just something that I wanted to talk about. Owning another piece of property. I bought a piece of property two years ago down on St. George Island, and uh, my property value. I, I bought it for eighty thousand dollars, and I've already been offered three times that amount for it. Um, and this is a program of honesty, and I'm telling you the way it is. Uh, these are things that this isn't a pipe dream. This is something that happened to an uneducated guy that just goes out and works and does the best that he can and tries to put money in safe things, and that's real estate. Uh, unless, unless there's a depression. And if there's a depression, it doesn't really matter where my money is. There's a you know, it doesn't really matter because we've all gone to hell anyhow. You know, I mean, if there's a depression, it's all gone to hell, and I'm starting over tomorrow anyhow. And you know, one thing that's good about all that, though, is that I kind of know how to start over. I learned here. And um, so if you're self-employed or if you're involved in a business, and you does your business own any property, the property that your business is in? That's another way to acquire property. Um, one thing that I learned a long time ago, way before I got sober, was I got in the racquetball business, and I built and owned racquetball clubs all around the South, and uh, I owned four of them. And, um, and my accountant made me aware of this one. Not my accountant, but a fellow out of New Orleans that I thought a lot of. He was a, he's, the NIHB says he's the best consultant worldwide. His name's Robert L. Siegel. And uh, he said, Jim, you know, you bought, and this was back in 79, 80, and 81. He said, you bought three-quarters of a million dollars. That was a lot of money back then. That's still a lot of money. He said, you bought three-quarters of a million dollars, and you put it on a $100,000 piece of property. Now you, you ended $850,000, and you can make $150,000 to $200,000 a year. He said, you're pretty smart, aren't you? And I said, yeah, I think so, Bob. And uh, he said, you know, you could take that same $150,000, and you can build a $100,000 car wash on it, and you can make $150,000 a year. And I said, well, no, I don't believe that. And he said, oh, yeah, you can do that. And he said, I can tell you where you can do that. And uh, and, then I, and then he said, and you want me to tell you how really smart you are? He said, and if you don't like that car wash, you can haul it off in a damn dump truck. And you don't owe anything on it. So I had full exposure, dollar-wise, Without the damn debt service. That is the crux of the matter. And uh, so my superior intelligence, once again, just about got my ass. Uh, you know what? I never did build a damn car wash. Yeah, man, I'm telling you. Sometimes it's amazing how smart we are. But um, the... Um, that was that was one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about. The other thing that, and Mel covered this pretty well, and I'd like to mention this, even though, Mel, I really didn't know that that they changed the law because of us bigwigs, but uh, 
<laughs> I really never knew I was a big wig, man. You know, I got on Walmart bridges. <laughs> hey, let me tell you something. In, I did not file taxes in 1988 and 1989. And they had a computer-generated random audit in which my number came up, and they said, where's, where's Mr. Robert? He, do, he forgot. He didn't file. Let's call him. And... Uh, I owed them $250,000 plus interest and penalties. And I'm telling you, I didn't have it. And uh, I did an offer and compromise at about $50,000. And that worked. That worked. And it bailed me out. And I'll promise you one thing. I file every tax return on time today. I am not late. Some things might happen, some things might not, but Jim's going to file on time. Um, offering compromises work. Offering compromises is a hell of a better deal than filing, in my opinion, than filing for bankruptcy. Because in my business, when I'm borrowing money to mortgage money, I can't afford to pay 15% interest to buy a house or to build a house. And since I make money on money, I've got to be able to borrow competitively. And if I can't borrow competitively, I'm out of business. So it's very important to me that I do that right. Because for me to be out of business for seven years, I might as well just take a hiatus. Goals. I think, you know, first of all, we were talking about this a little earlier, but um, my work ethic has always been if I've got to get up and go to work, I want to do the best that I can do at doing, being productive and trying to make something of what I'm doing. And so I work hard, and and I don't spend a lot of money. I try to work smart. I don't necessarily do that, but I try to. I cleaned house with that offer and compromise, and I moved forward. I did not obtain a financial planner, but I strongly suggest that because I think savings, a savings plan, is is an adequate way to retire today. This young man talked about a savings plan, and I think that's very adequate and very accurate. And for me, at 46 years of age, I have a retirement plan. And that's the reason I got in the rental house business. That's the reason I got in the realty business. I would like for your rent to pay my mortgage payment. And um, about three years ago, my first house was paid off, my first rental house. And these are 200 My average rent is $2,000 a month. And... Um, my first house was paid off, and the guy had lived in it the whole 10 years. And I said, I'm going to go buy him a ham for Christmas. <laughs> and my wife said, don't do it. He'll know something's up. And so I didn't. But I'm here to tell you that that's the toughest part of buying and owning real estate is just getting off your butt and doing it. It's just going and doing it. 
Anybody who owns their own house now or is in the process of buying a house now doesn't have to own it outright and does not have to have any equity in it can go next door and at the best rate, it's been the unprecedented best rate in history, can go buy a Pulte home or a Ryan home or a track built home for 5% down and now all of a sudden he owns two homes. And if inflation is 5%, he's got exposure of, say, if they're both $100,000 houses, he's got exposure of two $100,000 houses to 5% inflation, which is 200000 at 5%, versus if he puts his money, his $10,000, in a CD note and draws 6% and pays taxes on it, where does he come up, man? Minus one. <laughs> That's right. I think everything. I think everything that you've heard here tonight from these two guys was great information, and I'm 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 damn glad that uh, I got to be able to come up here and speak. Um, if anybody's got any questions about real estate, I'd be glad to talk to them after this. Thanks. <laughs>